This is Contra Radio from Contra.squad. Welcome, congregants, to the Sunday Salmon, with me, your good pastor, David Jameson. Jacinda Ardern is the very model of a modern politician. Relieving herself of responsibility after six and a half years of rule this week, the New Zealand Prime Minister also ducked out before the electorate could pass judgement on her record. She leaves, incidentally, amid a hideous economic crisis, much worsened when Ardern chose to lower mortgage rates, thus further inflating assets and further mutating New Zealand's already mutant housing market. In an orgy of self-congratulation at her resignation press conference, Ardan described herself as kind but strong, empathetic but decisive, optimistic but focused. Despite her own stellar qualities, she was, she said, exhausted by the job. New Zealanders can look forward to more of this drivel for years to come. Her forthcoming career is, one suspects, likely to mix lucrative new sinecures with self-promotion. I smell a book in the works, where Ardan portrays herself as a progressive warrior, beset on all sides by the forces of reaction, like some Hogwarts or Star Wars character. Indeed, Jurassic Park actor Sam Neill has already set the tone by saying Ardan was chased from office by disgraceful bullies and misogynists. She deserved so much better, he raged. She got a raw deal from democracy, you see. The people over whom she exercised power did not rise to her level. Democracy itself is failing, but unlike the metaphorical fish, it is rotting from the body up to the head. I'm studying the Ardan show from the other side of the world, partly because I believe it can predict our own Scottish future. It's hard to say when, but at some point, quite soon, Nicola Sturgeon will depart the First Minister's office. I expect more dignity from her. As a friend said to me recently, she's a Generation Xer, and thus unfamiliar with the millennial cult of public vulnerability. But I doubt she's above wallowing in the admiration of her journalistic fandom. I can almost hear the carnival of obsequy now. Nicola, patron saint of Scottish progressivism, will be carried on the shoulders of her supposedly hostile media to a funeral march of the most shameless slobbering you could imagine. We'll be told she finally banished Scotland's image of drunken louts, strict Presbyterian elders and provincial sectarianism. No more sorry land of deindustrialization. She ushered in a new European Scotland, cosmopolitan in outlook, soaring above the morass of Westminster politics. For my own part, I think Sturgeon a much more quintessentially and parochially Scottish figure than many allow. Witness the small-a authoritarianism, the fundamental distrust of the public in matters of consumption. I understand single-use vapes are for the ban now as well. That air of moral superiority doesn't come from nowhere, it's what the English smelled on Gordon Brown as well. You need to bake that in generations of a church that thinks it alone in the world is saved. The English traded that certainty for the pragmatism of the Book of Common Prayer, later attempts to remedy the loss with the arrogance of empire notwithstanding. But I'm not here to eulogise Sturgeon. There'll be time for that later. I'm here to ask why we now find holding politicians to account so taxing. Moreover, why we find that we, instead are on trial before them. After all, there's no need for any more, quotes, public conversations, 
about poor old Jacinda Ardern's workplace stress or Nicola Sturgeon's crusade against Scottish recidivism, unless there's something fundamentally wrong with the rest of us. Consider the present clash between Westminster and Holyrood over Scotland's block gender recognition reform. I'm not convinced Sturgeon actively sought out this confrontation as part of the usual game of phony war with the Tories. But seeking it or not, Sturgeon now has a confrontation she can benefit from. That's the art of politics. Whatever else you can hold against Sturgeon, you can't say she's not good at this game and trained at playing it. Or you can. National writer and Sturgeon admirer Mark McGagan thinks Sturgeon's motives are pure. Allow me to quote at some length. Idea that the SNP engineered a constitutional face-off with UK government over a policy they've had since 2016 when the UK government held the same position is difficult for me to take seriously. Not everything that people you disagree with or consider political opponents do is because they have ulterior motives. If you think they do, onus is on you to spell out what those motives are and coherently argue they are the drivers of action. I do think ScotGov likely anticipated the challenge. I think they'd have to be blind and deaf not to have considered it in their calculations. So why push ahead? Maybe because they think they're right, that they'll win the legal fight and that that fight is worth having. In other words, that everything we thought we knew about the political class, that they routinely dissemble, obfuscate and downright lie, is wrong. That belief isn't just some populist smear. It's an evident truth. No professional politician could last very long at the top of their game by showing the whole table their hand all the time. It's even more true in an era like ours, when economic growth is stalled, the civic sphere is eroded and expectations in politics are both falling and held artificially low by politicians themselves. But let me accept the challenge to explain the ulterior motives. Days before the latest GRR front opened, Sunak and Sturgeon sat down for dinner in Inverness and agreed on portions of Scotland to sell to international capital and which towns to pry open as free ports. It's just one agreement among very, very many. Sturgeon believes and Sunak agrees that our seabed should be leased out to Big Oil. Sunak agrees that our care homes should remain in private hands for profit, even if that means they stay death traps for our elderly, as they proved during the pandemic. Sunak agrees that the Scottish Government should hand over £68 million from its dwindling coffers to NATO for deployment against Russia. Sunak agrees that public services in Scotland need to be cut. The 800 teaching jobs announced for the CHOP in Glasgow this week are just a pinch from the 30 to 40,000 public sector jobs Kate Forbes has threatened to cull. I could go on and on. My point is, the phony war masks a much deeper convergence between Westminster and Holyrood, and that's its value to both administrations. Call it cynicism, but I don't believe that Sturgeon has invested much in this, or really any cause. That's not how she operates. Ditto Sunak. Ditto Angus Robertson or whoever finally replaces Sturgeon. Remember that when, a short while from now, we are asked to concede that our late, retiring leader was in fact our true north, guiding the masses away from moral confusion. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contour.substack.com and find great articles and more at contour.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. 
In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash contrascott.com.